1: Support for this podcast comes from Stella Artois. This summer, enjoy the life Artois. You can experience it anywhere, from your patio to the tidal basin. All it takes is being present, being there, with the people you love and a cold Stella Artois in hand. Wherever you are, you're never too far from the life Artois. Stella Artois. Please enjoy responsibly. Hello, and thank you for listening to The History of world war two podcast. And for our hundred and first episode, I'm excited to have with us writer and author, Catherine J. Atwood. And we're going to be discussing her book, code name, Pauline memoirs of a world war two special agent. So Catherine, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I really do appreciate it. So uh, just to catch everybody up, Catherine and I have been trying to get together since, I think, Thanksgiving of last year. And at the time, we were going to discuss your other book, Women Heroes of World War II, 26 stories of espionage, sabotage, resistance, and rescue. But now that even though it's taken us so long to get together, we just thought we'd talk about your your newer book. And so, again, I just really do appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah, so so if I remember correctly, the book that we're going to discuss tonight, Pauline, of course her real name is Pearl. She is um, featured in your other book. She's one of those twenty six stories. Is that correct?
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it's code name
1: Pauline. Code name. That's right. So so her code name was Pauline, but her real name was Pearl. Pearl Witherington. Okay, mm-hmm. so could you uh, maybe just introduce us to her a little bit, and then we'll just kind of jump into her story. Because her, 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 even her story, her background, every, and even about how the book came about is just is just really fascinating to me.
0: Uh, sure, Pearl Witherington was one of the agents of the British wartime organization, the Special Operations Executive, and she she was sent by the SOE into Nazi-occupied France. Mm-hmm. As a courier, and she worked uh, for the Stationer Network, headed by her former schoolmate, uh, Maurice Southgate. She worked as a courier for nine months, um, and then she had a major switch in roles, which is what ma- has made her famous in the annals of SOE history.
1: Now, that's amazing. See, that's what I love about World War Two. You can just keep reading about it, and there are so many new things that you're going to find out. Before I picked mm-hmm. up your book, I did not know of the the British Special Operations Executive called the SOE. I mean, I knew they did things behind the lines and all this stuff, but again, it's just more of the the things that makes it such such an incredible story.
0: It's a very interesting organization. It was just for the war. It was disbanded after the war. Uh, The SOE, the Special Operations Executive, was a resistance organization, a British resistance organization that developed resistance from within a German-occupied country during World
1: War II. And so she, uh, I think it was maybe a total of, what, 39 women joined the SOE before the war and really made a a contribution to trying to give the the Nazi Germans just as much trouble as they could in the different occupied countries.
0: uh 39 women were sent into France with the SOE. Okay. Out of the 400-plus agents that were sent into France.
1: Right. Okay. So um, what I really like about this book is that – and and correct me if I'm wrong, but you were the editor of this book about Pearl. And you really get a sense of who she is because it sounds like she's just sitting there telling you her story of her life. And through that, you get a really good sense of her attitude towards a a lot of the things that happened in her life and a a sense of the person herself. And she's very – Almost unemotional, detached, but she still makes it a very charming story as she just goes along and says, "and this, and this, and this." But they're incredible events that she's talking about. I mean, she's talking about resisting the uh, the Nazi the Nazi war machine, but she just talks about it like she's almost going shopping for groceries or something like that.
0: Well, she was a, yes, she was a very unemotional person. Uh, this went back to her childhood when she had to take over responsibilities for the family because her father was an alcoholic her mother couldn't quite cope with the situation and so pearl grew up with responsibilities far beyond her years and she had to kind of keep her emotions in check in order to survive in order to keep doing what she was doing keep all those responsibilities in check so she was just talking the memoir is actually a transcript of conversations that she had with uh monsieur laroque during 1994, 1995. So that's why it sounds like she's talking. She was. <laughs> okay. she, did, she didn't write down the memoir. She was interviewed.
1: Uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, mm-hmm. She was British, but living in France. Is, is that correct?
0: Correct. She was a British citizen her whole life, but she grew up in Paris.
1: Oh, okay. So so I guess the advantage, which, which really the SOE was looking for, besides courage and someone who would not flinch because uh, she seemed very un- unflinchable, uh, she had the ability to speak um, perfect French, I guess Parisian French as well as English, and they just really needed that skill at the time.
0: They did. They needed someone with an accent that mm. was could be seen as authentic. They were looking for people to pose as natives of a particular country, and obviously she had that accent down because people living in a certain country um, can tell If someone's a stranger or not from that area, the Germans couldn't tell because they, they couldn't distinguish between accents, but French people could. And so it's very important to get people who could pose as natives of a particular country. And Pearl definitely passed that test for flying colors.
1: Yeah. OK, let's let's just jump into her life. So she had a very hard life. Her father wasn't around that very much. Like you said, she had to grow up very young and take a certain amount of responsibility for her mother and her two younger sisters. Um, you know, three if- Three younger sisters. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. I apologize. So three younger sisters. So and then at one point she gets a job in the British Embassy in France. She's a typist. Um, it's probably not the most glorious job in the world, but she's got a steady paycheck. She's able to, you know, life is a little bit better for her family because of her hard work. And then the war comes along. France is uh, knocked out of the war pretty pretty early in the war. And then the Germans announce after they take half of France that they're going to, or at least I guess it was maybe it was rumors that the Germans were. Going to start arresting British citizens in France.
0: Exactly. Yes. And this is, they had to get out of there. So they now, did try to, they tried to leave during the Battle of France. They went straight west, but they got stuck in Normandy and had no way of um, getting out. So they had to come back to Paris. And then the Germans were starting to round up British citizens.
1: Well, and so
0: they had to leave.
1: Okay, but but even that—not that we—not that, we, that we have time for all the details—but even that was an amazing uh, chapter of her life. They had to go through what Spain and then Portugal and then eventually get there. But even that was an incredible journey. Uh, I enjoyed yeah, reading was, that in the book.
0: It was very difficult. You don't really get the sense of how difficult it was from her memoir because she's so unemotional. But it was a seven-month journey, uh, much of it on foot and wow. during a very cold winter. So she really downplays the difficulty of that particular journey. But, yeah, it took them seven
1: months. Yeah, and then a-
0: she went from Paris to uh, London. Seven
1: yeah. So she gets to London in July of 1941. And of course they have to do something with their lives and, and she's got to take care of her mother. So Pearl and her sisters become WAFs, W A They're going to join the cause and they're going to make money. I, I imagine they put their mother up in an apartment somewhere in London or, or somewhere re- reasonably safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what we did not really touch on, and I apologize for this. So before she leaves, she's growing up a little bit and she meets a man that they um, they had a very strange if you want to call it a courtship his name is Henri they like each other very much but his family who is much um what more affluent um is not exactly excited about him dating this kind of this kind of woman or at least a woman in her situation and then she when she has to leave they're not going to see each other for years once she uh, when she makes it to London yeah that's right they were separated for years, that's right, and most people would I guess forget each other, but maybe there was just something about their bond or their union or whatever, but they certainly did not forget each other, which just really adds yeah. it really adds to the story yeah it's a it's a
0: great love story, it really is
1: I like the part where they couldn't they weren't allowed to go to each other's house, so they had to meet on the streets of Paris and hang out on a park bench and just I guess just talk and spend time together.
0: That's right. They just like being with each other, and um, they did whatever they could to be together,
1: yeah now, I thought it was interesting when she gets to london she 's going to um she 's going to do something for the cause and and again, you really get the sense about her. she just seemed to be born a, a person with very strong uh set in her ways, and she just did not like uh, i guess people either being bullies, or in this case, nations being bullies, and she just really had this sense of um, unfairness and mistreatment, and, and gosh darn it, she was going to do something about it. So when she gets to London, she she seems to find a, want to find a way to really make a difference in the war. I just thought that was very courageous of her.
0: Yeah, she had a real strong sense of justice, real hmm. acute sense of justice, and it just was not fair that the Germans would come in and say, we're here, this is our country now, put those huge Nazi um, banners everywhere. She just couldn't stand that. And so she was in London pushing papers, as she said, but for two years she kept thinking about those Nazi banners, the occupation, the unfairness of it. And she also remembered that while they were on their way out of France, Mm -hmm. they were being helped by groups of people. Well, really not groups of people, individuals, but she thought they might be networking. And so she kept thinking, I'd really like to push the Germans out instead of pushing papers here in London. And right. she thought, maybe there's some resistance organization I can join to do that in a more active way. And so that's why she she looked looked up the SOE, which wasn't something people usually did. Usually the SOE went looking... For you, but she went looking for the s o e Shows how determined she was.
1: Yeah, I just think it was very indicative of, of her attitude. So, mm-hmm. in some ways, if I can remember from from my reading, in some ways, she was almost um, she was looking for for either for them or someone like them. And then mm-hmm. she is brought on board, and they really put her through her paces. They don't just accept her because of her language skills. She really no, has to no. train hard and earn it. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Definitely. Wow. Yeah. It was very rigorous. They wanted to weed out people they didn't think would be able to make it. But um, they said they her uh, SOE files are full of praise about her mm-hmm. uh, character. She had leadership abilities. They said she was the best shot they had, male or female, up until that time, which was 1943. Wow. So they must have had a lot of people coming through there because the SOE was established in um, 1940. So, yeah, they were very complimentary of her, her SOE instructor's
1: yeah, I just I just think it's amazing that she was able to wow them, and 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 you got to know that the the um, I don't know what you want, the prejudice prejudices against women were certainly um, alive and well in 1943, but she certainly had the skills to impress them, and they were saying, well, we need every we need every pair of hands we can get, so you know, welcome aboard, I guess.
0: Yeah, I think I think the um, misogyny was more in the upper echelons, not with the instructors per se. Instructors. From what I can gather from what people were writing in her um, report, so to speak, Mm -hmm. they realized that they needed everyone, uh, male or female, especially females, because females were not as much in demand for work in German munitions factories, and so they could be out and about in occupied countries much more than their male counterparts. So women were very necessary uh, in the ranks of the SOE. And I don't. I don't think there was too much misogyny in, as far as the uh, instructors went. They just they just looked for talent, qualities. They were looking for courage and ability, and kind of overlooked gender. I right. believe for the most part.
1: Well, I guess in that situation you pretty much have to. It kind of forces you to um, deal with what you have, and I guess see life in a in a very different way. So. Yeah, you know, it really, I think it, and not that I'm an expert at, at this in any way, shape or form, but in some ways that thing I think helped their the movement of women being treated as equals because they needed everybody they can get. It. So they did. Yeah, but they it, did. but she's able to back that up with with uh, with her own talents and her and her mm-hmm. and her leadership skills, as we'll soon see. So for everything we've just said. As far as I can remember, she is going to be sent over to France, and her, her job is to be a courier, if I'm correct, for the stationer network. Exactly. Okay. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging.
0: Like me, switching to decaf. Got to do it, don't want to do it, but got to do it.
1: Whoa, slow down, friend. CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell Technologies
0: solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT
1: orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash Dell Tech. Now, this, this is kind of gruesome, but... Obviously, she had to have a cover when she was over there. She couldn't just say, oh, hey, I'm Pearl. Um, So I guess she had to take the identity of someone that died or disappeared, and she had to have a cover story while she was over there.
0: Yeah, she was pretending to be someone called Marie Vergas, and she was posing as a cosmetics representative as she traveled uh, on her long train trips across
1: uh, central France. So so she can speak the language, she has her cover, and her cover is obviously going to require her to travel, which again is just is part and parcel of what she's doing. But I just thought it was so ironic that when you see pictures of her, she doesn't have any makeup on. It's like um, you forgot that little part, but but other than that, she, she seemed to do a really good job of making herself as, – as passing herself off as this person. Yeah,
0: I think she's wearing lipstick in the false uh, t- railway pass actually. So right
1: a bit made up. Because I just remember one one passage in there. I get I don't know if it was a German officer or whatever. She's on a train and someone goes, what do you do? And she tells him and she goes, huh, yeah. but you're not wearing any makeup.
0: And the train had been stopped several times during the night. And she said, well, I'm not going to wear makeup after I've been through this kind of a <laughs> horrible night. So she was hoping he would just leave it there. And he did. Yes. Very, that's as close as she came to blowing
1: her cover. Right. A very realistic uh, excuse. So, um so the organ, the network that she belongs to, as well as other networks, uh, throughout occupied France, basically their job is to, I guess, to harass the, the Germans, um, blow up fuel, maybe mess with the, the railroad tracks, you know, any kind of transportation. And as, as we're getting closer to D day, because the, um, the, her net particular network was pretty, was pretty effective at what they were doing. The, the Germans were zeroing in on, on them. So as we get closer to D day, their job, along with every other network, so I believe, um, if I'm getting this right, was to be able to stop, however they had, however they could, the Germans from rushing to the coast uh, to impede the Allies as they're trying to land, which leads to the battle of is that Les Souche? Am I saying that right?
0: The battle of Lesouches. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. Yes, exactly. Uh, Pearl and her group were told uh, after D Day. To fell trees and put trees all over the roads, mm-hmm. and all the all the uh, groups in the area were told that, but theirs was the only one to obey the command, and so the Germans knew that someone was in their area. <laughs> right. So they sent a uh, snooper plane in, and they sent the Germans in and so thousands of Germans came against this tiny at the time group of resistors, and they all had to scatter.
1: Wow, that's amazing. So I think it was like 2,000 Germans versus 20 Maquis, and basically they just have to, 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 to get out of there. And even though they weren't all um, annihilated, which was amazing in its own self, the, the, yeah. or the, the network is sh- um, shaken up enough, and they lose practically everything that they had. The Germans were able to grab, oh, I guess, a lot of their material and supplies and everything that made them uh, a, a, an effective resistance network.
0: Yes, but they didn't take one thing, and that was due to Pearl's quick thinking, which Mm -hmm. this is an incredible moment in Pearl's life, and the reason that they were able to survive was her quick thinking at this moment. The Germans are there. Mm -hmm. She goes to the weapons stockpile, and someone comes in. They said, "Uh, you've got to get out of there, Pearl. Germans are right here. So she grabs one thing, and that was the cocoa tin full of the network finances. And so she runs with it into Wheatfield, and she hides there all day in the hot sun. She says "I was very frightened, very hot in the blazing sun. But she managed to keep the network finances from falling into the hands of the Germans. And so they were able to resupply. They were able to grow larger because after D-Day, all the French uh, resistors just suddenly came out of the woodwork, the ones that hadn't been part of the resistance already, and Mm. the network grew substantially and she had the money and it lasted for a while until they could reestablish contact with london and um get going again
1: that's amazing because i mean i just not not that i compare myself to anybody who's brave enough to fight a war but you would think your first instinct would be to grab a gun or whatever but what's a gun or pistol going to do against you know 2,000 germans who were surrounding and and zooming in on you so so D Day comes and a lot of uh, a lot of people see that the the tide of war is turning. They start volunteering. So suddenly her group, her network, and a lot of other networks suddenly have more people than they know what to do with. And, exactly. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit? I mean, she, I guess that they just suddenly have more people, and then that's not an effective guerrilla unit because you it's supposed to be small, you know, organized bands as opposed to a large force fighting like an army.
0: Sure, and they. They would come, the um, the resistors kind of came out of the woodwork and they really wanted to fight because they knew that the Allies were going to win. Mm-hmm. So they would come to where uh, a network that could supply them. They wanted arms. Um, they wanted to be able to really fight. And so Pearl had contact with London, so she had the supplies. So her network grew uh, enormously. It grew into approximately 3,500 men. Wow. That was her little portion of the stationer network. It suddenly grew so large, and she didn't she didn't know what to do exactly. Right. Although she kept her head, and that's the thing goes back to her childhood. She was able to function in the midst of dysfunction as a very young person. And so, when these people just started flocking to the network, she was able to maintain order, and she had this brilliant idea of subdividing her network into four subsections and giving them each their own leader and then um she actually asked for a military leader to come in even though she was very capable she really hadn't been trained to be a military leader so she didn't think uh she would be the best person to keep that job to the end of the war so um after he came Mm -hmm. she kept all the all the subunits supplied and she kept visiting them, so she didn't really leave. But she was really on top of what was going on with them. She didn't lead them into battle, right. as um, she's sort of been. <laughs> legend has it she led these men into battle, not <laughs> quite. But she did keep them supplied and armed, and she kept them uh, able to do battle with the Germans. So it was a very, very important role, crucial role, in crucial moment in. D-Day history and
1: World War II history. Yeah, um, but again, she's just so amazing. So this these people flock to her. They have to split it up. And even though she was sent over as a courier for a while, she is a leader of one of these, yeah. I guess, sub networks. But even then, I just think it's amazing. She has the humility, and um, she can almost distance herself from the situation and go well. I could do this. I haven't been trained, but I got these natural leadership skills. But no, I'm going to be humble and do what's best for the cause. I'm going to call for a military leader, which eventually comes. But until then, she's in charge of her little section. And that, and that wasn't the only time that that um, her I guess her gender played a part because I just love the part where – Um, And this is in a different part of the story, of course, but there's a a, there's a Michelin factory that are making tires for the Germans and um, and the RF, the uh, the British are saying, look, you either help show them how to sabotage or you sabotage that factory or we're going to blow it up. And she even though she had the training and the skills to show them what to do, they weren't willing to listen. And the factory paid the price for that for that blind arrogance, if you will.
0: Well, yeah, she actually she got sick. She couldn't go, but mm. she realized that the resistance leader in that area was um, kind of misogynistic. He didn't like women. Uh, Nancy Wake had to run in with the same guy in, in another story, but um, so they sent she sent Henri instead. She couldn't move. She was so sick, and um, they they ignored him. They didn't know who he was, and you had to be really careful back then. You don't realize Gee. how. Uh, careful you had to be. People were posing as uh, resistors when they were really working with the the, um, uh, the Germans. So mm-hmm. it, it's not surprising that they ignored him, but nothing could be arranged. And uh, finally, the um, RAF bombed him.
1: Yeah. Again, it's, it's just unfortunate, but um, like that's that's the way the world was, and so that's that's yeah. the way it is now. Um, so I th- I just think it's interesting, and, and I can't remember verbatim how she puts it, but I love the way she words this. When um, when the Allies were coming, when the Allies were coming, we were told to stop the Germans. Going west to the coast, and once the Allies landed, we were ordered not to let them go east back to Germany. So I just, I just, I, but I, I can't remember how. But I just love the way she words that. So their job is to just trip up the Germans at every chance they get, and yes. she she does do some things where she blows up some fuel, making it a lot harder for that. But it just must have been very challenging. The the situation is falling apart politically and militarily, and they're still trying to inflict as many wounds on the aggressors as they can.
0: Yes. Exactly. That was or- that was her orders, and that's what she
1: did. Yeah, now, that's what they'd been training
0: for all this time. All the organization, all the long train trips, everything had been geared for D-Day, and so then they were they were very effective at that point because she was able to take over that particular part of the network.
1: Right And I I loved her And she was Even though she was Dispassionate Most of the time There were a couple of um, Moments in in her In in her dialogue Or her discussion Or her memoirs When she kind of bites a little bit. She was talking at one point about uh, 18,000 Germans surrendered to one American soldier, and of course they make a big deal about that, but she's like, yeah, but no one talks about all the, um, the those 18,000 Germans were harassed by Maquis for years up until they surrendered to that to that American, so let's, she's like, let's remember who, you know, let's remember the full story here. I just love when it, she, she got an attitude.
0: Right. She was very loyal to the men that she was working with, and she knew that what they had done, and those Germans surrendering was a direct result of the Maquis in her area. So she, she felt that's her sense of justice again. She felt like the people responsible for that surrender were not getting the credit for it. It was the Americans. And um, because the Americans, they weren't trying to be unkind or unjust. They just yeah. didn't know what was going on.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now, they didn't have the full story. Sure. And now, even though we've talked about all this her story is not over yet and it's still not finished i guess being dangerous um so de gaulle comes back it's up france and because and, and there's a whole backstory to this obviously but de gaulle was a very um strong-willed individual individualistic person and he was thinking about the pride of France. So when he arrives back in France, he tells all the British SOE agents, "Look, you've got 48 hours to get out of France. Thank you for everything you did. Now get out." So Pearl is um a British uh citizen, but she's also uh is she is she uh, does she have dual citizenship? She's allowed to to stick around for a while.
0: Yeah, she was a permanent resident and okay. Henri was a citizen. Um so it, they were going to come back into France. They had to go to the SOE offices to sort of debrief All right. And high up loose ends. But, yes, de Gaulle had some issues with the British. He was <laughs> not told, um, yeah, putting it mildly, he, he was not told the date of D-Day. Ooh. And his relationship with Churchill was always a bit strained.
1: Right.
0: 48 hours was generous, actually. He didn't give everyone 48 hours, but they had to get out. And he sort of had this attitude that um, France had liberated itself. <laughs> right. um, so I don't know. He's an interesting guy. He did he did rally the troops absolutely in some ways, but um, he did have a problem with his British
1: allies. Right now, there's one part I, I just have to mention, and I apologize for skipping over it about Pearl and Henri. So so they're together. They for lack of better uh, terms, they fall in love and then she has to leave the country. They don't see each other for years. Henri is captured by the Germans. He eventually escapes. He goes to uh, unoccupied France, excuse me. They, they're able to come back together De Gaulle comes, a lot of the agents are, let, are leave, but then these two, like you said, they have to go back to London to debrief and, and, uh, and I guess turn over whatever money and everything else that they still have in their possession because the war right. for, for them, I guess is over. So they get to London and they're doing that. And then they have, they get there just in time to experience the V2 rockets that are raining down on London. So even though they think they're safe, they could be killed at, at any moment, even though they, they think this war is over for them.
0: They could have been, yeah. It was very dangerous in London all through the war.
1: So, the SOE agents leave, and then um, she, uh, Pearl and Henri are going to go to London, like you said, to debrief. And um, at the time, when they were over in, in occupied France, so they had spent millions of francs that they were given by London. So, they go over there, they debrief, and they return what money they had. And I think, if I remember correctly, they were one of the few networks, if, if I can use that word, to actually return money. So, again, her, just her, her forthrightness and her honesty and fair dealing just a part of who she was, just was always there, and she was just going to be who she was at all times.
0: Exactly. She was very just, and they, they spent what they needed to spend. They did spend almost six million francs, but they had to pay thousands of people right. because these some of these men had wives and families. They had to eat. Uh, they needed um, the arms. Well, the arms were brought in by London, but, um, yeah, nobody... Apparently had returned the accounts. At least when she returned them, they said we've never seen any. And when returned, very detailed accounts, exactly what they had spent and why had they, they had spent it. So she was she was very detailed and very just.
1: That, that's just amazing. So, but even then her story is not over. It's, um, she is, she is, I guess, selected for the MBE, the member of most excellent order of the British empire. And -hmm. then she goes on the tour of the United States. But even that, um, I guess she found fault with because she was given the, was it the non non non-military or the civilian version of that award?
0: Exactly, because she wasn't technically part of the military. Right. So they thought, well, if she's not the military, we'll give her the civilian. But she said, I didn't do anything remotely civil during the war. (laughs) So she she didn't want that award. Uh,
1: Wow. So, and I think, was it years, maybe even decades, I'm not sure she met the the queen, and and the queen said, "Uh, you've been waiting a long time to get this. I, I just thought it was really interesting that. She just wanted to be treated fairly no matter what, you know, and I just thought that was amazing.
0: Yeah, actually, the Queen gave her the CBE, Commander of the British Empire.
1: Okay. Um,
0: The military MBE, she did get that later. Okay. um, But she did, a couple years later, she was finally awarded the military MBE with some other SOE women because she made quite a fuss. It was in some papers, and she was surprised. But that was her sense of justice again, sense of fairness Sense of right and wrong. This just wasn't right. She wasn't <laughs> sitting behind a desk. She was. Yeah. She was in uh, enemy territory.
1: Now, was that when the queen said to her, "You've been, you've waited a long time to get this," or was that for a different no, award?
0: That was the um, commander of the British Empire gotcha. in two thousand four. Okay. And she had waited a long time for that.
1: Now, and we didn't touch on this, and this, and this is really my fault. But for years, she did not. I guess, tell her or share her story. Um, because she had seen what a lot of other people were doing. They were doing very dramatic versions of individual stories during the war. And I guess because of the, the type of person she was, she didn't want any part of that. And, and, but later on, I guess in life she just said, Hey, my story needs to be told or, or could you, could you uh, share with, with us? Sure. Some of that. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: after the war, the British public was fascinated and horrified to learn that these young 20-something women had been behind enemy lines during the war. And so a lot of criticism was heaped on the SOE leadership, but also the film industry and the publishing industry got into gear and started creating these fictionalized, sensationalized stories of these beautiful women agents and Pearl saw some of these and read some of these, and she didn't recognize some of the people that she had known. Right. And then someone did it to her. Someone wrote a highly sensationalized book about her, um, wrote something very sensationalized and romanticized about her life. And she so she said no more interviews, and she refused for decades wow. to tell anyone um, to grant any interviews mm-hmm. until she was getting older and she thought, you know, This connection between my difficult childhood and my successful career as an SOE agent, it might encourage some young people in difficult circumstances if I would come uh, forward and tell my story in its entirety. So Uh then when Hervé LaRocque, a French journalist, approached her in the 90s, she she agreed to a series of interviews that would result in the memoir Pauline, French-language memoir.
1: Okay, and then um, and then somehow you were tapped for the I guess the the English version of that.
0: Yeah, what happened was um, we had to. My husband speaks French, mm-hmm. and so uh, when I was looking for people to include in Women Heroes of World War II, I kept coming across her name right. as someone who was a very impressive agent of the SOE during World War II. But I couldn't find anything on her, and then finally realized that there was this French language memoir out there and since my husband can read French I got a copy from Hervé La and so what my husband John did he, he translated a, a huge synopsis of the book for me and then I used that uh-huh. to create the chapter. Well then he started this pen pal friendship with Monsieur Leroque and turns out the memoir had already been translated into English, but that no one wanted to publish it because it was a and a formatted right. memoir. And I asked the Chicago Review Press about it because Women Heroes was doing fairly well, and they said, sure, we'll publish it in our Women of Action series. But uh, they said I had to do a lot of editing. They weren't going to publish a and a So I had to edit it into a straight narrative and then add introductory material suitable for uh, young adults. Right. And so that's what I did. And the result is codenamed Pauline.
1: Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed that. I mean, I, I'm, I, of course, I don't know what it was like before you started editing it, but I really, you really just get the sense of this woman sitting in a chair and she's just talking about these events. And I just really enjoyed it. Um, I'm not sure what what beef other people would have had, but I have to say that I really enjoyed your, um, your little intros to each chapter. It was very Tight writing. It was. It and it really gave gave what what I was about to read. It really gave it context. And then you would just throw in this little personal element, and it just really um, added depth and color to what Pauline, excuse me, Pearl was about to say. And I just really enjoyed uh, uh, the intros, and I certainly enjoyed the. um, the Women of Heroes of World War um, oh, Two. Yeah, no, I just, I just really, as someone who's t- tried to write a hundred different, you know, a hundred episodes of a podcast, I just really admired uh, the uh, the the writing style that you that you use. And I I think I, I think I read on the internet somewhere you're coming out with Women Heroes of World War One. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, June first, that comes out. June first. I'm looking forward to that one. Okay. So, um, is is um, Pearl still alive? Did, did she pass away recently?
0: She passed away in two
1: thousand eight. Oh, okay, yeah, just just She's an amazing, yeah. yeah. But but she was when she told her story, she was pretty um, advanced in years.
0: She was in her eighties, right? So she, she seen, born in nineteen fourteen. So she was pretty spry. Definitely, yeah. I mean, she was. she was alert till the day she died, she did lose her eyesight in the final years. But
1: right. apparently,
0: her brain was all there.
1: That's Up amazing.
0: until the end. So she
1: was quite a woman. That is absolutely amazing. And and uh, I think you and I were talking before we started the show. Um, I have four daughters. And so I'm always looking for, you know, very um, pro-women or, or, or just role models for my daughters to to emulate. Um, and when I came across your first, the, the book, you know, Women Heroes of World War II, I just shared certain passages, you know, at least with the older daughters. But, again, I just want to thank you because I'm always trying to find material so they can, you know, take themselves seriously be see themselves as equals and just and just live their lives like like everybody else does
0: i loved writing that book it was very inspiring cool Um, those women were just amazing and uh thoroughly enjoyed writing that book i've enjoyed all of them but um that was my first book and um i found the most inspiring stories that i could and i just loved writing it so i'm so glad you enjoyed it i'm glad you were able to share it with your children
1: yeah, that was great. Maybe we can have you come back on, and we'll talk about some of the uh, the ladies in that book. That would be a lot of fun.
0: Oh, definitely. I'll send you a copy.
1: Okay. So, so Catherine, I just want to thank you for your time. I'm sure you're busy getting ready for your new book to come out and all the different things you have to do for that. But I just thank you very much for the time you shared with us today.
0: Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me, Ray.